This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, guys, we are in the, today's the final installment of our series, Wind and Fire. And uh, we've been talking about... <clears throat> We've been talking about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so the first week, I talked, uh, the, 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 the point was a personhood of the Holy Spirit. That that's a really the starting point of a discussion about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because maybe you grew up in church, and, and in your church, you didn't really talk much about the Holy Spirit. You, you believe in the Holy Spirit, like he's one of the members of the Trinity, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You believe in the Holy Spirit. But it's this mystical thing out there, you know, maybe it's a force, maybe it's an energy, maybe it's some kind of power, you know, some kind of, maybe something like that, but it's not really a part of your everyday life. And the starting point to start talking about having a relationship with the Holy Spirit is understanding that the Holy Spirit is actually a person. And because he's a person who we talk about can be grieved, can be moved, can be sinned against, um, who wants to be our friend, right? Because as a person like that, then that kind of opens the door for us to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And one of the points that we made that first week is the Holy Spirit wants to be your friend, wants to walk with you. He's, he's the paraclete. He's the one who's walking alongside us, challenging us, encouraging us, speaking life into us. And so we, we start with that the Holy Spirit's a person. Last week we talked a little bit about how the Holy Spirit empowers us and helps us. Today what I want to do is I want to finish this series with this, <clears throat> basically sharing, you, sharing with you this, uh, the way that I, for the last three decades at least, have tried to live my life. Um, basically want it, to, it's like this underlying prayer of mine, this underlying feeling of mine is this, I need the Holy Spirit. We rarely talk about that in terms, like, you know, like I said, uh, maybe last week or week before I said, uh, oftentimes we don't like to be the needy one in a relationship, right? We don't like to need something, you know, so much of my cultural background has been to, to teach me how to be independent and self-sufficient and work hard and, and not need anything from anybody, you know? And so me using that word, I need something, is a very, it's very difficult for me oftentimes. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like the worst boss to have a personal assistant for because they said, do you need anything? I'm like, no, I'm good. I got, you know, I, we hired him to be the, per, you know, like my assistant, but no, I'm good. I don't need anything because I don't want to be that needy person. Yet one of the things that I feel so strongly about in terms of my relationship with God, my relationship as a pastor in this church, my relationship with other staff members is I need, I need the Holy Spirit. Are you hearing the emphasis there? I need the Holy Spirit in my life. And so the reason why is, is I don't want... I don't want to live my life in a way where the best that I can do is the best that I can do. That's all dependent on my strength, my ingenuity, my ability. You see, when I don't pray, like when I don't petition God, when I don't pray, then the best that I can do is basically the best that I can do. You know, my... My, my talents, my abilities, 
but it only gets us so far. But when I pray, then the best that I can do is no longer the best that I can do. When I pray, the best that I can do becomes the best that God can do through me. Because I'm inviting God into that situation. When I don't give generously, then the best that I can do in terms of my resources and my finances is the best that I can do. My finances are limited. Most of you say the same thing. Our finances are limited. But when I live a sacrificial, generous life, and I invite God into my financial realm, then the best that I can do is no longer the best that I can do, but the best that God can do through us. You see, sin in its most fundamental form is when we say to God, thanks, but no thanks. Like, you know, I got this, I got this life thing, God. <laughs> I got this marriage thing. I've got this raising kids thing. God, I've got this. Thanks, but no thanks. That's sin in its most fundamental form, right? So I believe one of the ways that we're able to live beyond our abilities beyond my talents, beyond my strengths, beyond my wisdom, is to live a life filled with the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, and the best that I can do is no longer the best that I can do, but it's the best that God can do through me. In fact, this church is a testimony of that. If I, and I mean, I'm not, this is not me. It's just saying, God, I, I can't do this. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. So I could look at my life, I could just go back in history of my life and I see moment after moment where just some significant things happened and I step back and I realize, God, it was those moments where I said, I throw my hands up, I can't do this, I need you, Lord. And the Holy Spirit steps in. So last week we talked about how Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, wait until they were filled with the, with the promise of the, of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and, uh, and he told him, wait. He said, don't, don't get started until you are filled. He's, he's trying to make a point. He's, trying to say, he's basically trying to say, you need to do this thing called Christianity. You need the Holy Spirit. So wait till you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verse, starting with verse 1. It says, on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast, um, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So these believers, these followers of Jesus were together praying. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire, fire is one of the metaphors that we've been using for this series, wind and fire. <clears throat> then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and, uh, and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Began speaking in other languages. I suggest that, that this is really, this chapter is really about living beyond our abilities. That's why Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And that's why this Holy Spirit is coming down in this very supernatural way. Verse 5. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So there's this commotion. It must have been some kind of roar, windstorm of sorts. People run, and they hear people speaking in languages that they understand. They were completely amazed, it says. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. In other words, they're locals. They're from here. 
They're all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And I didn't know Cretans was, by the way, I just like read that. I'm like, Cretan, what is it? You know, that's like a derogatory word to call somebody a Cretan, right? Isn't it? Okay, anyways, we had Cretans in the Bible. Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. When we were... uh, uh, my wife and I, early on, we were on our way to go to, we were going to Bangladesh as missionaries. In, in March of 1993, we boarded an airplane at DFW Airport, and that plane took us from Dallas-Fort Worth Airport to LAX, Los Angeles International, and then from Los Angeles International, we crossed the ocean to Tokyo, Japan, and then in Tokyo, we had a couple hour layover and then from there we flew another eight hours to Bangkok, Thailand. So by the time we arrived in Bangkok, Thailand, we had been like the the actual time in a plane had been 20 hours. We had been in a plane. Now in 1993, my oldest son was four years old, my second son was two years old, and my youngest son was four months old. And we were 20 hours, 20 hours on a plane. So by the time we arrived in Bangkok, we're like, we quit. <laughs> we're not, we don't want to be missionaries. This is too hard, you know, because it was just, you know, you can imagine. Three, my, my, especially my oldest son, man, he was just like, he was climbing everything, running all over the place, you know, and the, the, the flight attendants were really nice. But anyways, we, we, we land, we land in, in Bangkok, and the next day we had a fly to Dhaka, which was another four-hour flight from Bangkok to Dhaka, but, we had, but because of there was only one flight, and it was in the morning. We missed that flight, so we had to stay overnight in a hotel. And so we're in the hotel, and my wife begins to, uh, to undress my second son, or she undressed them all, giving them all baths, but was undressing my second son and discovered that he had chicken pox. And so, yeah, I know. And, you know, he was feeling a little puny and crappy and stuff, you know. So, so we understood that he was not feeling well, but we realized that why he wasn't feeling well. And so, you know, my first thought, being the loving dad that I am, was like, can we board the plane tomorrow? That's all I want to know. Because <laughs> we are not staying another day in Bangkok. We need to be able to get to Dhaka, you know? So anyway, so we, my wife, the next morning, she gets up. She says, look, we need to, we need to get some, some medicine for him. He's, he's got fever. He's not feeling good. You know, he's got to go find some children's Tylenol. I'm like, I'll do that. I can do anything. I'm in Bangkok, Thailand, you know? Now, Bangkok's a really big city. I mean, 20 million people. And so I get out, and I get out of the hotel, and I start walking down this street to find a pharmacy to buy children's Tylenol. It seems like a very easy task, right? Most of you can pretty much, if I said, just go get some children's Tylenol, you just run to Walgreens or whatever at Costco and get your Walmart, you find your children's Tylenol, right? I thought it was an easy task. I get out there, I start walking the streets of Bangkok looking for some children's Tylenol, for a pharmacy, and uh, just quickly discover that nobody speaks English in Bangkok, Thailand, you know? So I'm like stopping people. I'm like pharmacy. And they're like looking at me like, uh, whatever. I don't know what you're saying. You know, so I kept walking. And I'm looking for this pharmacy. And I saw at a distance, like across this highway, this major road, I saw like what looks like, like some Westerners, you know, people like from Europe or America. You know, I saw them over there and I thought, I got to talk to them. So I, I don't normally do this, but I just ran across the street, stopped total strangers and I said, hey, 
This is what I said. Do you speak English? <laughs> they were German, so, so of course they spoke English. Yeah, so they, we started having a conversation. That's another story altogether. We'll talk about that some other day. They spoke English, and so we're talking, and I said to them, hey, um, uh, do you know where there's a pharmacy? And I, we've only been here in country two days. We really don't know where pharmacies are. And so that was a you know, swing and a miss with them. Well, then I kept walking. I'm walking, just walking and walking these sidewalks. Millions of people honking of horns. It's just crazy. I'm feeling frustrated. And I'm walking, as I'm walking, I saw this cross. It looked like a, you know, like a red cross, but it was green in color. And so I saw the cross. And I'm like, maybe they have some information. So I went to that space. I saw a little green cross. I turned in, and lo and behold, it was a pharmacy. I was like, yes, I found the pharmacy. Conquer, victory, you know, kind of thing, until I realized they don't speak English either in there in the pharmacy. So I'm like, Can you, you know how hard it is to try to explain to somebody who doesn't speak, a Thai person, like, my kids have chicken pox, and I need, I need, I'm like doing chicken signs, you know, <laughs> doing all this, you know, trying to let them know I, I need... I need medicine for the, you know, they're like, and they're pulling things off the shelf. The whole time they're like laughing at me, you know, just laughing out loud. Two ladies, they're pulling medicine off the shelf, putting it on the counter, and I'm looking at it, and it's like, there would be like, Pfizer would be like the one word in English, like that's a company, you know, whatever, some kind of drug company. Pfizer would be the only thing in English, everything else was in Thai. I'm like, what is this? And like, Yes, and they're like pushing it on me, like this is the medicine. I have no idea. So, anyways, that was another swing and a miss. So I go home, totally defeated. I mean, go back to totally defeated. I get in there and I tell my wife, "This is sorry. I, 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 it took me an hour to find a pharmacy, and then it took me another hour to explain what they what we needed, and they still didn't understand. And I just quit. And for the first time in my life, I was wishing for something that I had always taken for granted." Somebody who could speak English. And we don't normally process that. We don't ever think that way until you're in that situation, right? Well, think about these pilgrims who have come to Jerusalem for this festival. They're from all over the world. They have a working knowledge of Hebrew. Not a great one, maybe not super conversational. In fact, Hebrew really wasn't a conversation language back in those days. It was more of a religious language. Aramaic was really the language of conversation in that, in that part of the world. So a little bit confused, and maybe they're kind of trying to... And all of a sudden, they hear their language being spoken. They come running. Can you imagine how they're feeling? They hear their language. And then they start hearing what is being said in their language, and it's, it turns to shock and amazement of what they're hearing. Look what it says in verse 12. They stood there, talking about these people who are hearing this stuff in their language, they stood there amazed and perplexed. They were amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. You know, Whenever we experience the miraculous and mysterious, whenever we experience something we don't fully understand, we are tempted to do what, exactly what these mockers did. And that is to try to find a human explanation to something that we don't really get or understand. Try to find some kind of like, oh yeah, you know, they're, oh, these guys, they're just drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning, but they're just drunk, right? So we're completely honest. Some of us would rather have an understandable explanation of something that's not true 
than to have a true explanation of something that we don't fully comprehend or understand. Let me repeat that because I know it's a little bit of a tongue twister. Some of us would rather have an understandable, comprehensible explanation of something that is not factual, it's not what the scriptures teach, than to have a, have a true explanation of something but we don't fully get it or understand it or comprehend it. And that's how we oftentimes live the life that's basically, it's all dependent on me, right? Never live beyond our ability because we refuse to believe something that we can't fully understand or comprehend. We bring God down to our level. So really, here's a choice that we're faced with. Either we downgrade our theology, either we look at the body of Scripture and see what it teaches and say, uh... I don't like everything that's here, so I'm just going to not believe all these things. Or maybe we'll say, we'll believe it, but it's out there in the mystical, and I don't, it doesn't apply to my everyday life, so I don't even practice it. It's just there. It's a mental ascent to something. Either we downgrade our theology or we upgrade our experiences. And what many of us do is we like to downgrade our theology because we want a God that we can understand. We want a God that's comprehensible. You see, ever since the beginning of time, Humans have been trying to make God in their image. Ever since the beginning of time, humans have been trying to make God in their image. A God that's understandable, a God that's controllable, a God that fits in a nice, neat little box, a God that shockingly looks a lot like us. And once he looks like us, then it's okay. I feel good about what I believe because it's understandable, it's comprehensible. What's normal becomes abnormal. What's abnormal becomes normal. See, I think tongues is a great example of this. That in our culture, it's easy to say, that's just, I don't understand it. Therefore, it's got to be this. I don't understand it. Therefore, it's just not, wasn't for us, it's for them. And we want to find a human explanation for it. I think many of us, many of us have that cut and paste kind of theology, you know. I take some things I want, I don't take things, other things I don't want, right? We rationalize, we sanitize verses that are just a little too radical for us. And so that's what these people did. Basically, something happened that they could not understand, and they explained it away by saying, they're drunk. They're drunk. They're drunk. But here's the thing. There was other people in the crowd that it says that they were amazed and perplexed. In other words, they knew something was happening. They knew that God was moving. They knew that something was occurring. You find that throughout the book of Acts, this amazement and this perplexing happened. People who are paralyzed are miraculously healed. People start speaking in tongues. People drop dead. Other people are raised back to life again. There's this angelic jailbreak, like they're in prison, right? The apostles are in prison. There's guards all around the prison. And the next morning, the person goes to open up the, the, the prison and they're gone. Like, oh, out, just in thin air, just were able to walk out and, and they found them in the courtyard preaching. <laughs> they, like, they weren't escaping, just the angels released them in the middle of the night. Divine appointments, supernatural signs, all this stuff is like really crazy stuff happening. So here's the thought. If you want a faith that is completely explainable, at a cognitive level. In other words, you can basically outline your faith and make it totally comprehensible, palatable for anybody and everybody, a predictable kind of Christian experience, then I think 
asking for the Holy Spirit to fill you is probably a bad idea. Because the Holy Spirit will do things and say things and move you in directions that aren't always comprehensible. They're not always understandable. But if you want to be amazed and perplexed, then as we've been saying in this series, is pray that prayer. Holy Spirit, I want to know you personally. I welcome you into my life. I want you to be my closest friend. <clears throat> I guess the question for us is, are we willing to be amazed and perplexed? I think none of us, we don't balk at being amazed, right? If I came up to you and said, hey, here's $100,000, you're going to be amazed, right? Anybody here be amazed if I gave you 100000 bucks? You'd be amazed. You probably will not say, well, it's perplexing, so I don't want it, <laughs> right? You wouldn't say that because we don't mind being amazed, but we never pray to be perplexed. We never be like, oh, God, you know, I'm, I haven't been confounded lately or confused lately, so will you just confuse me a little bit? We don't do that. It's just not part of human nature for us to do that. We want to be amazed, but we don't want to be perplexed. And my experience is that sometimes this is a package deal when it comes to the Holy Spirit, right? At some point, when we refuse to be perplexed, when we say all, you know, yeah, we're okay with God amazing us, but when there's this incomprehensible, not, not understandable kind of stuff, when we refuse to receive that or actually embrace that, it limits our Christian experience and our growth. Because we're not amazed. So are we open to experience something that we can't explain? Are we? Now, I realize that right now I might be talking to some of you and you're, this is like a brand new topic and you might be a little bit weirded out by it. Just hang in there with me, okay? I get it. Uh, I, I, I have been there. I know what you're feeling. I know what you're thinking. Um, I'll say on the outset, I, um, I, as a person, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I speak in tongues. I, I pray in tongues. Um, but it wasn't always that way. In fact, when, when this first was happening in my life, um, I grew up in an unchurched environment. I, didn't, I really didn't know much about, uh, about Christianity at all. I grew up Catholic but never really went to church. And so talking about tongues was never something we talked about at home. <laughs> never, ever. It was a total surprise when I discovered it and went to this church. But my mom, you know, she's a single mom. She's got five boys. I'm a senior in high school, and, and uh, we're in a pretty desperate situation in, in Texas. And so my mom says, hey, um, we're going to church there on Sunday, which was an Assembly of God church there in the town that we were in. And I said to her, I'm like, I don't want to go to church. Like, we don't go to church. Why, why are you going to church? <laughs> I, I, honestly, the truth is, here's what I actually said. I said, just, this is Ricky back then, so just don't judge me for it. I was like, is it church for women and old people? Why, why do we want to go to church? You know, I mean, I don't want to go to church. But my mom, being a good Latina woman, she was not going to let me get away with not going to church. Latin women, Latin moms, forget it. When they say you got to do something, you got, I don't care if you're 50 years old. My mom will still call me to this day. I'm in my mid-50s, and my mom will still call me to this day and say, you know what you need to do? And she'll have to tell me what I need to do, you know? And, and, so, and I can't say, mom, stop telling me what to do, because my mom's like, then, yeah, then other things happen. <laughs> so, so, so she, we go to this church, and I'll be honest, I, it, was, it was weird for me. I'd never seen people in worship raising their hands. I'd never... I'd never seen people dressed the way they dress in church, in a Pentecostal church. 
You know, I thought the pastor was mad because he's like ah, screaming, you know, and spit and everything coming out. I'm like, this guy's really angry up there, you know. What's going on with him, you know? And people speaking in tongues. I mean, this is all weird to me. I'm like, and I'm thinking, I, I don't want to come here anymore. I don't want to be here. You know, and I told my mom, why are we here? I don't want to be here. And then I looked around, I saw there's a lot of pretty girls. I'm like, okay, maybe I could tolerate a little bit of the crazy for some time, you know? Because, yeah, you know, I was new to the States. And so, anyway, so we're in this church. And as time went on, here's what happened. I began to read the scriptures. And I had these aha moments like, whoa. It's saying here's something that I saw happen in church on Sunday. Or I saw happen at that youth meeting, you know, that we went to at that person's house. It says here. And I started realizing that a lot of what they believed and practiced was actually in the scriptures. And for me, it became an issue of will. It was really the question was, am I going to downgrade my theology? As I was growing in Christ, am I going to downgrade my theology or am I going to upgrade my experience? Do I want to have a, a comprehensible kind of faith that's just all about, you know, my, my cognitive understanding of faith and it stays at the, in that realm? Or do I want to be in a place where God can amaze me and sometimes even perplex me? Am I going to upgrade my experience? Well, that was 37 years ago when I received the Holy Spirit in my life. And I'll never, ever regret it. If I go back, like I said at the beginning, if I go back and look at the history of my life, I see moments where the Holy Spirit was so real, so tangible, and so, so needful in my life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, you know, pretty crazy things happen. I want to talk about six manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and hear me, look, there's probably more. This is not an exhaustive list. There's probably more, so don't email me and say, you missed three or you missed two or five or whatever. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to show that the Holy Spirit does operate in ways sometimes that are very perplexing, but really cool ways as well. And that we need to be open to saying, Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my life, right? First, first way that we see this manifestation is supernatural boldness. Um, several times in the books of Acts, you see that the, that the disciples, the apostles, were acting in boldness. It's precisely seen in the life of Peter. So let's just do a little bit of chronology here. Before Peter gets, before Jesus is crucified, Peter is told by Jesus that you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, no, I'll never, I'll die for you, Jesus. I'm bold. I'm strong. Now, here, here's what's happening. Peter is saying, he's looking at his own inventory, his own strength, that I've got the, the ability to, 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 to live for you with all my heart. It's all, with, it's all here inside of me. Then a little teenage girl says, hey, wait, wait, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? He's like, I don't even know the guy. You know, he's denying Jesus. And you know the story, right? He denies Jesus, uh, the, the rooster crows, and Peter's found out. Fast forward 10 days. 10 days after that, they're in this upper room, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills that room, and they're all baptized in the Holy Spirit. That same Peter, who 10 days earlier is like, I don't even know the guy, stands up and preaches this message with amazing boldness points his finger at the crowd and says, you, you are the ones guilty of crucifying Jesus. And 3,000 respond to the message of Jesus Christ. What happened between, in those 10 days, 
Holy Spirit filled him and gave him supernatural boldness. There's this pastor in Iran. His name is Pastor Yusuf Naradkani. I've got a picture of him. Iran's been in the news lately. About 12 years ago, Yusuf was, um, I can't say his last name, so his first name, Yusuf. Yusuf was uh, convicted or arrested and then convicted for apostasy. Apostasy is when, when you're a Muslim and then you become a Christian. So you walk away from the faith of your birth, right? So he was convicted of that, and the penalty for that, for apostasy, is death, typically death by hanging. And so he was convicted to, to be hung. Well, there was a lot of international pressure, and, you know, there was, you know, this is the age of media, so people knew that it was happening, and there was a lot of, you know, human rights organizations that were really campaigning against this. And so, so the, the Iranian government basically changed their minds, okay, He's not an apostate, but we're still going to convict him of proselyting other, other people. And so he got arrested for that, spent years in prison for that, was released a few years back, and found out even last year he was rearrested for proselytizing. The cool thing is if you read the transcript of Yusuf's court case, when he's standing in court and he's making his defense of how he was not an apostate, that how really the word Islam means submitted to God, that really he is truly a Muslim, he's truly, he's truly, and I'm sorry, the Muslim means submitted to God, that he is truly a Muslim because he's now finally is submitted to God through Jesus Christ. You read that, you're, I mean, goosebumps. And t- I mean, I wept as I was reading part of the transcript of his, of his testimony in court. You know what I call that? supernatural boldness, a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit that in the face of death is willing to say, I'm standing for Jesus Christ, boldness. Another manifestation of supernatural generosity in Acts 4, you find this, they sold their possessions and gave it to the poor. What's interesting is the context of that, where it says that. It's immediately after they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. They had already been filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 4, it says, again, the Holy Spirit came down, and they were filled. And then right after it says, and they sold their possessions and gave them to the poor. So in the context of a Spirit-filled life, there's supernatural generosity. There's supernatural healings. I've experienced, experienced healings many times. I was preaching in South Carolina once doing a circuit and I was going to this one church I, I was a missionary trying to raise support to get mission field and um, I went to this church first assembly of God in Greenville South Carolina and uh, to be honest with you I, I needed their because I hadn't received very much in support up to that point and been there almost a month I needed their support and so I, but I get there and I was I woke up that morning high fever my voice was almost gone I was congested pounding headache but I was like, I'm just, I'm desperate enough. I need the check. I need money to get to the field, you know. And so I was going to preach in that service. And I remember sitting in the front row right before going up. And I just said to the Lord, and I said, Holy Spirit, help me. Those are all my words. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. And I walked up as the pastor was in I walked up to the stage. And by the time I got here and I opened up my notebook to start preaching, my headache was gone. My congestion was gone. My voice was clear as, as could be. In an instant, just like that. I took no medicine. I hadn't taken, me, I had taken medicine earlier on, you know, in the morning when I was desperate. I was taking some NyQuil or something, you know. But in that moment, instantly was healed. Supernatural healings are a part of, of a life filled with the Spirit. Supernatural dreams... As well, Acts 2.17 says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. I think one of the things I think is really cool about 
a life filled with the Spirit is the ability to dream big, God-sized dreams. Because when I limit myself to my abilities, my resources, my talents, my dreams are usually small. I shoot lower because it's me. But when I think of what God can do and the dreams that God gives us, life, church, hear me when I say this. This is not rich, green, boasting. Life, church is the result of of a dream. Of a moment in my basement crying out to God, say, God, I know you want to do something here. There's no way that Rich Green could have done this all by himself. People came along and were part of this whole thing. But it starts with a dream. God gives supernatural dreams. Supernatural wisdom. Last week we talked about that in Acts chapter 15. In fact, I'll just say, I said this in an early service. All of you, everybody in this room, all of you can be thankful for one event in human history. All of us can be. For one event. I'm not talking about the death and resurrection of Christ. Yes, we're all thankful for that for sure. We can all be thankful for Acts chapter 15. When these Jewish believers were trying to figure out what do we do with Gentiles who are becoming Christians? We've never done this before. I mean, they're not circumcised, these guys, you know. <laughs> they're, they don't follow the same dietary laws that we follow. And it says in Acts 15, it seems good. This is how they phrase it. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us that we would include you into this thing. All of us are in this room right now because of supernatural wisdom that was given to some men 2,000 years ago. It's part of being a life filled with the Holy Spirit. And the last supernatural language God enabled them to speak in language that they had not learned. Now you can read more about this in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. There's details about the gifts of the Spirit and particularly as we're talking about the gift of tongues. But to be very honest with you, this stuff is still kind of perplexing to me because I've been in church services where, where messages in tongues have been given and interpretations have been given and it was not God. I mean, it was last night's burrito or something or Somebody who, somebody who wants to be on center stage, you know. And I'm being funny, but I'm not trying to discredit it or talk against it because by the same token, I've been in services. Well, I mean, I'm standing here because of a service just like that where the Holy Spirit was moving and somebody was giving a message, gave a message in tongue and there was people who were, who were interpreting that and... And I ran to the altar. I said, God, here am I, send me. The presence of God was so thick. I'm thankful for the prayer language that I have. I'm thankful that I'm able to pray in that, in that supernatural language. And here's the reason why. Because there's times where, and to be honest with you, I'm just being open, open with you about this. There time, when I look, when I think of Life Church, I, every single day of my life, I wake up with Life Church on my mind. Every single day of the week, I go to sleep thinking about tomorrow, what's going to happen with Life Church. I'm not sure if that's the right thing or not, but it's sometimes a lot of weight and heaviness to that. Just, just the normal activities of, of Life Church, just what we do on a regular basis. You know, is there enough funding? In our, is, are we being funded enough to be able to, to do the things that God has called us to do? All those kind of things. 
And then there's on top of that, there are the problems and the difficulties that get added to that. So then there's a normal everyday life stuff, and then there's a pieces of, of 800 plus people that call this their church that will call in and say, we need counseling, we might be, we might be on our way to divorce. Or we just lost our job and we don't know what we're going to do. So there's all that weight. And then on top of that, then there's the, and I'm, don't, don't hear me what I'm saying here. I'm not complaining. On top of that then is the stuff that God puts in your heart and burdens and vision for the future. You think of, man, we want to we build churches in India. And we want to we reach people in, 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 in Indonesia. And we want to reach people in El Salvador and in Cuba and all of that stuff. And frankly, there's times when I get down on my knees to pray and I have no idea how to bring all of that stuff together. I have no idea how to pray a prayer that actually gets the attention of God and says, hey, this is how, this is what you need to do. This is how, I have no idea. But I'm thankful that in those moments, I can pray in the Spirit. In fact, Romans 8 says this. It says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants, to, wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts, the Father who knows all hearts, I don't know all hearts. The Father knows all hearts. The Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So I don't exactly know, but the Father knows, and the Holy Spirit knows, and the Holy Spirit is speaking, and suddenly there is activity happening in the world around the world that I'm not fully conscious of it except to say that I'm just in this place of prayer and where the Spirit of God is speaking and through me and leading through me. So let me close. I um, started this series appealing to you to pray daily this prayer. Holy Spirit, I want to know you personally. I welcome you into my life. I want you to be my closest friend if you took that challenge seriously, then you're well on your way to living a life where the best that you can do is not the best that you can do. It's the best that God can do through you. One of my prayers for us corporately as a church is that we would, that we would never stifle the Holy Spirit, that we would never put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. And I realize that there's sometimes balance in things, you know, and we want, we want everything that happens happen in decency and in order, but we also don't want to stifle the Holy Spirit. So I wrote down some things. On, basically, it's my prayer. It's me. It's Rich talking to God, saying, God, this is what I, what I want. May we never, this is how I wrote it down, may we never bind the Holy Spirit with organizational red tape. It's easy to do. May we never restrict the Holy Spirit to the boundaries of our own comfort zone. May we never tie up the Holy Spirit with our traditions. May we never limit the Holy Spirit to our personal preferences. Oftentimes that happens. May we never squelch the Holy Spirit with our secret sin. May we never stifle the Holy Spirit with our self-help approach. May we never constrain the Holy Spirit by the constraints we call planning. And I'm a planner. May we never confine the Holy Spirit to a building we call church. May the wind blow. May the fire burn in us, through us, in all of us. I want us to stand.
We're going to end. We're going to end this series with a a corporate prayer. Our prayer teams will be here on the left and right, and I encourage you if you're here this morning or this now this afternoon, and and God is speaking to you and challenge you and calling you to step out. Maybe it's related to the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never really received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I had a gentleman last service ask me after service, wanted more like details about what does that mean. You know, is the Holy Spirit in me? Is it always in me? And I kind of gave him that little analogy, insufficient analogy of the water, of the glass of water that's got a little bit of water in it, but then being filled with the Holy Spirit is like a pitcher being poured into this glass of water and just overflows. And so miracles and tongues and all these things is that overflow of that glass. Insufficient analogy, but basically it's the analogy I gave. So maybe you're here and you also need to know more. You want to know more. We have a class that talks about the Holy Spirit. It's... And so you can join that class coming up in the fall. But if you'd like prayer, they're here to serve you. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to answer any questions also regarding the Holy Spirit. But here's what I want us to do before, as, we, as we conclude. What I want us to do <clears throat> is to pray this prayer corporately. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Okay? So we're gonna re- I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. And, and when you say it, you say it. Not just because Pastor Rich said, but you say it. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And the here is not just this building, yes. The here is here. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Okay, so let's let's say it together. Ready? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Let's do that again. Louder. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. One more time. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you, God for your goodness, your grace, your loving kindness. We thank you, Father, that you give us, as a good Father, give us good gifts. You've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Father, for that. We thank you for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for the gifts that you give us, Father, of being able to love and care for one another, Lord God, in the body of Christ. So I pray, Father, this morning, as we have corporately confess, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, not just in this building, Father, but in our hearts, in our minds. We invite you in completely. In Jesus' name, amen.